Therapy Chat Podcast, episode 112. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. So if you've been listening to Therapy Chat lately, you've probably been noticing a lot of discussion about the body and nutrition and chronic pain, chronic illness. You heard my recent interview with Kyle Davies, author of The Intelligent Body, and he's coming back next month, December 2017 for part two of our talk. And today I have a fascinating guest to bring to you, Daniela Paoloni. Daniela is a marriage and family therapist and founder of Westlake Village Counseling. In her private practice in California, she provides video counseling to those with chronic illness, chronic pain, anxiety, and medical trauma. She also provides support to family members and caregivers impacted by these circumstances. Daniela is motivated to provide counseling in these areas by her own health challenges and chronic pain. She also offers free community workshops and presents among her peers on the topics of mindfulness, pain management, tapping, health psychology, and more. And in her spare time, Daniela volunteers as an advocate in a health-based Facebook group where she connects group members to resources, information, and support. And you'll hear from her about that group and how you can join it if, if that fits your situation. So let's go ahead and listen to my interview with Daniela Paoloni. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. Today's guest is someone who has a very interesting perspective in her work and a fascinating subject that she focuses on. So without wasting any more time, let me go ahead and introduce you to my guest, Daniela Paoloni. Hi, Laura. Nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Hi, you're welcome. I'm so glad you're here. You have become, in my mind, the go-to person for working with chronic pain. Um, whenever I hear a therapist say, you know, how do you help a client who has chronic pain or chronic illness? I always think of you. So I'm really glad that you decided to 
share your wisdom with us today on Therapy Chat. And let's just start off by letting you tell a little bit about yourself and your work with our audience. Absolutely. Well, thank you for the compliment. That's really nice to hear. And um, I guess I would say the the reason I focus uh, in my work with people with chronic illness, chronic pain, anxiety is usually the underlying theme for that as well. It's because I would say over the past eight years, um, I've been living with my own health conditions. And the irony of it all is that my health mysteries, which went undiagnosed for several years, began when I was in graduate school getting my master's in psychology, counseling psychology. So um, it really made it clear at that point, wow, um, I really need to see a therapist because I don't know what's going on with my body. I'm in a lot of pain. I'm having a lot of symptoms that I just don't understand. And I really, I really need some support here. Plus, it's part of the graduate program that I have to go get my own therapy. And I did. I went and found a therapist. I found a few, but none of them I felt were really understanding what it was to embody and go through the experience. And so it made it clear for me that this was really what I needed to do once I got my license. And so um, since licensure, that's been the direction I've moved into where I give support to people who have a medical condition or they have mysterious illnesses that are maybe falling under the category of an invisible illness. So that could be anything from fibromyalgia, lupus, Lyme disease, rheumatoid arthritis, so or any kind of uh, inflammatory condition or autoimmune condition where on the outside, visually, the person looks healthy. I'm in my 30s. When I got really sick, I was uh, late 20s. Mm. And now I'm in my mid 30s. And on the outside, I look healthy. But, you know, there's there's a lot more under the surface. Um, that meets the eye. And so going through life, for me personally, as someone who is pretty healthy and then getting kind of wham, bam, slammed with some health stuff uh, later on was a shock. And so I felt, gosh, people need need to have someone that they can connect with and talk to if that's been their experience or if they've lived their whole life with some kind of invisible illness, uh, Crohn's disease. Um, anything of that nature too. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because all of the illnesses that you mentioned are things that some of my clients have had, you know, and what I see is a lot of fear around not knowing what's really going on with their bodies and wanting answers, but finding almost like more questions, the more they explore. So I, I like to ask you, What's it like for someone who has one of these invisible illnesses when they are trying to explain what they're going through and the person, whether it's a medical provider, a mental health provider, or just a, you know, friend or family member, or even a stranger, when the other person sees a seemingly young, healthy, vibrant person, what's it like to have that kind of like misunderstanding about what they're going through? Well, for the person going through the the health issue, it can really be, um, it can really be hard. It can be isolating um, because there can be judgment, people passing judgment. Um, maybe it's their own kind of defense mechanism because they just don't know what to do with that. Like you look fine. Like they just can't rationalize it. Like you look healthy, you're young, you're walking, you're, you're not with a cane, you're not limping. 
they just cannot make sense of it. And so sometimes the response is, uh, what's the word? Uh, kind of like, oh, it's not that serious or, oh, you're being so dramatic or are you sure it's not psychological? I will say, sadly, a lot of and I'm pretty sure this leans more for women going through invisible illnesses, but mm. oftentimes in the medical community, when the female patient is on the hunt to try to get answers, the usual quick response from the doctor, whether it's male or female, is, how are things going on at home? Are, is everything okay? How's your stress level? How's your marriage? You know, it's kind of like pointing to psychological only, um, which can be a really uh, difficult thing to hear because... You're already feeling pretty down and out and lousy about yourself. And then to hear that too, it's like, oh, so you're basically kind of hinting that it's it's something I've somaticized, I have created. Now, that's not to say that never is the case because there's that's always a possibility and stress can make health conditions worse, but that can be hard. And so having an invisible illness, trying to find a diagnosis or having a diagnosis can leave you in a place where maybe you're not being taken as seriously. A good example, I guess, of this would be like you're in a work environment and let's say you suddenly get hit with like the stomach flu. You have to, you know, take time off work because you're going to be out for a few days, maybe three, four days or something. You got a doctor's note and everyone at work's like, oh my gosh, is she okay? You know, maybe they send flowers, whatever. That's the typical response for someone with an acute illness, sudden mm -hmm. onset, but then there's a resolution. With people with chronic illness, that typically means three months or longer. So what is the other person? How are the colleagues? How are, how are the outside family members and spouses? How can they navigate that when their loved one is persistently sick? So the response is different. So like my best way of explaining it is like, well, chronic illness is like, it could be like having the stomach flu in varying degrees of severity for years. Some days are better than others. Some days, not so much. Some days you're able to go to work and work a full day. Other days you're lying in bed um, because you pushed yourself too hard the day before. And so the response from the outside world when surrounded by someone who has a health condition that's persistent can vary and they can get kind of, they can get kind of like caregiver for, they can experience caregiver fatigue um, or just like, oh, they're still not feeling good. They're still dealing with health issues and get kind of exasperated with it. Mm -hmm. And then for you, if you're the one with the health issue, you kind of start to feel like a broken record. Like, I don't want to keep talking about this. Like, you know, people keep asking. I kind of wish they wouldn't, st wouldn't keep asking. Sometimes you might feel like, cause it's like, you know, I, Maybe I just don't feel like bringing it up right now. Like, I don't want it to totally dominate my narrative of who I am. Like, I'm not right. my illness. I am my own person. This condition comes in ebbs and flows, but it's not, it does not define me, you know? Yeah. It's like you want to be taken seriously and people can so often be dismissive. I think it leads sometimes to people saying, well, you don't understand. I have this and I have this. And then people are like, oh, they all, they're always talking about their illness, you know? So it's like, there's really no, it's like damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yeah. And I think the best thing, at least for people who have a loved one dealing with some kind of a long-term condition is just to like, listen, you know, hear, hear what your loved one has to say and go, oh man, I'm sorry you're having a hard day. Is there anything I can do? 
I know you, you said you're running low on groceries. I'm going to go later this afternoon. Can I get you some stuff? You know, things like that. That kind of a response is really well appreciated. Just being able to be listened to and heard where you're in, where what you're sharing about yourself is being received and accepted. And in, instead, instead of maybe the more common response, which is, oh, well, have you tried probiotics or did you see that doctor where you're trying to be like Mr. Fix-It, you know, like mm. problem solving solution focused. And it's like, listen, I've been in this path for years. I appreciate, I know you mean well, but listen, if it was that easy with probiotics, do you really think I would be dealing with this for four years or something? You know, like that can kind of be insulting. <laughs> yeah. You think it's that simple, man, I wish it was, believe me, but it's not. It's yeah. Not, it's, it's like, give not me that credit linear. for knowing my own body. Yeah. So just listen, just listen and go, Hey, I'm so sorry. You're having a hard day today. Um, that must be really difficult. And you know, if there's anything I can do, please let me know. And if you're going to say that to them, you know, if they ask you, then hopefully you follow through. Yeah. Either. Don't just say it. And then when they're like, can you help me? You're like, oh, sorry, I'm busy. Can you, yeah. Can you go pick up my kid from school? Oh, darn. Sorry. I can't. It's like, well, okay, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> oh goodness. It's such a, it's such a tough thing to be going through something and doubting yourself and really, you know, getting so much conflicting information from different doctors and, you know, just trying to figure it out and then having, you know, unsupportive people, the people who are closest to you, not be able to be supportive in the way you need. Oh, yeah, it can be hard. It can be hard. And at the same time, it must be really exhausting and hard for them too, because I know it was hard on my family when I was sick especially if you're in a place where you still don't have a diagnosis, that, that I think is the worst. I mean, that's just my personal take here. It's like, you're so desperate. You're going through all, going down all these paths of like trying to find the answer, you know, seeing different doctors and it's stressful for you, but for your family to see you going through it, like, you know, every day and the hours you spend researching or, you know, all of that, that takes a toll on them as well. So, you know, it's, it can be easy to get wrapped up in your own world when you're the one who's going through a, an invisible illness. But if it helps to sometimes take a step back and see how it's affecting everyone else in your family, too, because it does affect them. Yeah, I guess the main point is that if all involved can have empathy for one another, it would be helpful. Yeah, exactly. Empathy and outlets to kind of vent, you know, and. And if you're the one going through the illness, try to find like a nice network of people to communicate with, to reach out to. So it's not only a couple people that you kind of just divulge this to, you know, if it's a therapist, great. But if it's like a family member, you know, that can be a lot for them. And that, you know, that's not necessarily fair for them to be the go-to person all the time. Uh, if you're wanting to kind of vent, it's like, okay, talk to them. Sure. But how about talking to your therapist or going to a support group or, you know, talking with your friend, going for a walk and just talking about all of this stuff too. So it's kind of more, there's more of a, of a support team for you where you feel you have these different resources and ways to cope. Well, that's a great piece of advice. So I know I asked you about what it's like for people when, you know, others don't understand what they're going through, but to take that, you know, a broader view a little bit. What is it like for people who live with 
chronic pain and chronic illness? What are some of the issues that they're affected with? Being tired, Mm. being tired a lot, you know, because being in pain is exhausting. And the sad part is when you're in pain, your body starts to get used to it. Your mind and your body just become programmed. And so after a while, if it goes on for so long, you start to not notice a difference anymore of what it was like to not be in pain, to experiencing pain. And that was, that's still the situation for me, but it's a lot better. But when I was uh, struggling more with, with all of this, I would wake up exhausted and in pain. It was like just my new normal. And so you just lose perspective. That's one of the things that happens is you lose perspective because it's just become uh, so intertwined in your day-to-day living where you maybe have to make lifestyle changes to accommodate your you know, needs that are showing up um, more and more. So maybe you have to get up even earlier because it takes you longer to get out of bed. You know, you only have so much energy to get through the day. So you're just trying to be very conscientious and aware of like where you're putting your energy. Um, so that way you have enough to get you through the day to get home and make dinner and go to bed. Your life can kind of revolve around self-preservation where you might become a little more hypervigilant because you're in this fear protective mode. You're anticipating, oh my gosh, when am I going to have the next flare up? Now, not everybody's situation is going to be to that level, but some people have conditions that literally just show up suddenly, sudden onset, and there's no sign or symptom kind of giving them a clue that they're going to have a flare up. And that can be that can be really scary and unsettling and traumatic, very mm. traumatic. I mean, I have most of my clients with health issues have some form of trauma, medical trauma, because they have lost the feeling of safety in their body because it has failed them in ways that were scary and unexpected, going to the emergency room, having emergency surgery, being in a public place, and then having a sudden onset of, onset of symptoms where everyone starts looking at you and like kind of giving you this weird look and you're just like mortified, you know, that you're, all of this attention is being put on you and you just want to like curl up in a ball and be in your bed, you know, under the covers. Um, so it, it's, it has that mental exhaustion aspect of it and planning, you know, it's like, it's like you need two of you. You need the one to handle your health issues, to schedule your doctor appointments and, Remind yourself of when you need to take your medication or your supplements. And then the other person to live life and go to work and raise a family. You know, it's yeah. just, it's, it's hard to try and fit it all in, in a day. Yeah. And, you know, I heard you speaking on the Healthy Gut podcast about the issue of becoming, I guess, desensitized to the pain or the higher pain threshold that someone can have who is living with chronic pain all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think that might be a little bit hard for people to understand how that can be possible. So can you explain that? Because I think people might think, oh, so then the pain isn't as much, but that I don't think that's what you're saying. No, it's not what I'm saying. I guess just like, like exercise builds like muscles and like stamina or something. I don't know how really to eloquently explain it, but it becomes like habituated, repeated kind of experience that your body just learns to adapt to. 
Not that it's not excruciatingly painful, um, but I know the example you're referencing from that uh, podcast interview, and it was the host who had a condition which I used to have as well. And the symptom for her, which was the same for me, was really distended belly, like looking Mm. like you're pregnant, like really bad. And her pain was to the intensity that she and and she had and I can and this is a common experience, too, of having a aversion to going to the doctor just because you've had so many like traumatic experiences or unpleasant you know, conversations or whatever. And so she didn't want to go. She was in a lot of pain. Her friend told her, listen, if you don't go, I'm going to, I'm going to take you. And it turned out she had uh, a ruptured appendix. That is intensely painful. Yeah. But her pain tolerance was so high that I guess she had become conditioned to tolerate that level of pain. Over time, that can just happen. I don't think that's the case for everybody. It just varies. And with that particular condition, the pain, it's kind of like certain illnesses have certain types of pain. So again, it's like a conditioned, like building up of a tolerance. Um, But other health conditions have pain symptoms that vary. Or if you've had surgery, like I had surgery about a year ago, and now I have new pain symptoms that emerge um, when I have, you know, my stomach's a little bloated or something. It's like, oh, this is not fun. Like, um, so I guess, I guess that's not the best way I'm explaining it, but I'm trying here. And it's kind of like on this, on this range. Yeah. So some symptoms and pain symptoms, they do become habitual and your body kind of becomes accustomed to them and other symptoms, not so much. I will say for me, looking back now, I definitely had at least a temporary phase of fibromyalgia for sure. Because once I started taking a particular medication, it was literally like night and day. I took the medication one night. The next morning, I got up. I was still an intern, and I had to drive to LA. You know, about an hour drive to go do my work hours over there. And I woke up, and I'm like, "Oh my gosh, wow, my body doesn't hurt, and I feel like I have energy this morning, and I'm not dragging. Like, and and I feel like I have better mental clarity. It was astounding." the the shift the just overnight i mean and everybody's experience with that kind of stuff is different but i was just shocked 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 so that can happen too when you're making changes lifestyle changes or adding in medication and then you get a real clear picture of like wow i can't i can't even believe i got my symptoms were that bad because now i can again literally feel the difference and see the difference in myself. Yeah. And it's amazing the things that our, our brain does to protect us from the discomfort. Like I think, you know, for me, if I have a terrible pain, as soon as it goes away, it's like, I can't even remember what it felt like, but when it's there, it's so unbearable, you know? And I also think about how we are able to block off feeling in our body, you know, because you, something doesn't go away. So in order to function, some, t- some people, and I think some people are better at this than others in terms of it's not, it's not necessarily a good or bad thing, but just that some people have a tendency towards being able to just shut off the feeling in that place because it's something that isn't going away. And do you, is that off target in what you were describing before about 
that pain tolerance? I think for some people, I think it's a little nuanced. I think for some people with pain, if it's like sudden onset, it's actually like re-traumatizing them, like PTSD. I honestly mm-hmm. have a lot of clients where it's literally like PTSD. It's like it's like that flashback. Oh my God, I'm having that same relapse. I'm relapsing again, or I'm having that same flare up of symptoms. And it's taking me back to that time when I was in school and I had to leave early and I went to the hospital or whatever that event was. And it can take you right back there. So, so some people to self-preserve will do kind of what you're, you're saying here, um, where they maybe disassociate, you know, so that can be, that can definitely be a problem. Other people, it's just, you know what? I have this this chronic persistent pain, but I still have to make a living and support myself because I got bills to pay and I got on top of that medical bills to pay and mm-hmm. I have kids to support. So I just got to figure this out. And so for me, I don't have kids. I'm not married. So at least I didn't have that financial, um, you know, things to consider. But I was I was in this constant fight or flight. Mm-hmm. I was treading water, just trying to get through the day, trying to get through graduate school. That was difficult, incredibly difficult. Um, I started full time and a year in, I was like at a crossroads. I'm like, I either need to drop out and have student loans and nothing to show for it, or I suck it up and switch to part time and get accommodations. Like it didn't even dawn on me that I would be someone to get accommodations. And it took my sister telling me, uh, you know, you have medical issues. You could get accommodations. And I was like, oh yeah, I guess you're right. Like Because I was in constant fight or flight and I was constantly just trying to survive. I was just treading water. Mm -hmm. I wasn't thinking about those things like, oh, I guess I could get a a doctor's note and get, you know, uh, a seat in the back of the the classroom with the extra cushions for my back because I'm in a lot of pain. You know, like I just didn't even occur to me until she said it. And I said, man, and I guess I'm going to have to switch to part time. That was not what I wanted to do. But change has to happen sometimes, you know. Therapist, we've all had that moment. You wake up in the middle of the night. Oh my gosh, did I do my notes? Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore when you use therapy notes. Therapy notes makes it easy to write your notes, get them done quickly, but thoroughly. My group practice has used therapy notes for six years and everyone always finds it easy to use. But the best thing is if you do need help, you can call their customer service number and a person answers the phone. And anytime I've ever had to use it, which is maybe three times in the past six years, my issue has been resolved easily with a cheerful demeanor in 15 minutes or less. So I highly recommend Therapy Notes. And don't forget, go to therapynotes.com and use promo code chat to get two free months. Yeah, and I'm hearing a lot of what you're talking about in kind of how people adjust to living with chronic pain is to make adjustments to, you know, instead of just pushing through, forcing yourself to fit into this nine to five or whatever, 40 plus hours per week mold, it's figuring out ways to make the most of the time you have, knowing when you have more energy and that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, exactly. I knew I did better during the morning. I knew if I had, you know, school, when I was in school, certain hours, I'm like, okay, I'm going to take a nap. I'm going to make sure all my homework is set. You know, like I, 
I became the super duper planner, like everything, which is very common uh, for mm. people because there are things that we literally don't have control over. You know, there are aspects of our bodies and our health conditions that will show up unexpectedly. So the least we can do is see how we can plan out our day um, conscientiously to preserve our energy, to try and weather the storm, whether it's going to be torrential storm or just a minor little, you know, a flash flood or something, you know, having to plan ahead was my way of self-preserving. And that's a common, common theme I find for a lot of people too. Yeah. And that can be self-care really, you know, just to consider what might I need? How am I going to take care of myself if something comes up? Exactly. And having those conversations with my teachers, that was awkward. Um, I had accommodations. They weren't some of them. I mean, most of them knew they weren't supposed to ask like what it was, but I had one in particular. He was just really curious. And I was like, um, I'd rather not say, I was like, you know, you're not supposed to ask me, right? <laughs> and he, you know, he's, he should have known better, but he was just like, you know, he was a psychologist and a teacher. He's like, what's, so what's going on? What's your, what's your story? I'm like, um, I, I, can I just not tell you? <laughs> Boundaries, please. <laughs> please. <laughs> that was awkward. <laughs> yeah. Oh. But pushing yourself to, you know, ask for what you need, not necessarily to share information you don't want to share, but, you know, to ask for what you need in terms of the accommodations and, and saying, I have accommodations and I'm going to need this. That's exactly a great yeah. self-care. It is, you know, and setting those boundaries. And, and I think a good part of setting those boundaries too is like, you know, at this point of my healing process, I'm in a much better place. And I, I'm now I'm like, okay, now, now I'm going to see how I'm going to tell my own story, like how, I'm, which was the healthy gut podcast. I was super nervous doing that. Cause that was the first time I actually, um, talked about my specific health stuff. Um, but since then I've, you know, done a little presentation in the community, kind of talking about my condition and how it's a little, you know, how it varies to like compared to someone who's been with a health condition their entire life and the, the range of experiences that both can, can have. Um, and so I kind of frame it as how, as my own self-care and boundaries is like, how am I going to frame and shape my story? Because I own my story and mm. how, who do I want to share it with? Um, not everyone maybe, I don't know how to phrase this, but not everyone is really deserving of hearing that story perhaps, or you just don't get that sense that you disclosing or sharing would be of benefit to them or that they would well receive it. But in other cases, um, it might be therapeutically helpful for them, whether, you know, in my case, I don't overly disclose, but I disclose enough to know for clients to know that, wow, it's such a relief to like work with you because I know you don't have the same condition I do, but you get it because you you have an invisible illness and you're the same age range as me and like you get it. And just knowing that, like I've heard that so many times, I'm like, yes, that feels good. They, they say just knowing that, that you you understand on certain levels just makes me feel better. Like this is an, a great outlet for me to just kind of work on, you know, myself and cope and grieve and everything. And I'm like, good, I'm glad I, you know, I won't get into the nuts and bolts of what I have, unless it makes sense for that situation. But sometimes doing that alone is just so therapeutic for them too, because they're like, yes, you get it. And I know for me, I'm like, darn, this is what I wanted. Mm -hmm. This is what I really was wanting when I was in school. And I was like, just 
you know, grasping for somebody who I, who really understood it. And that wasn't what I had, sadly. So at least I can do it now on the other end. Yeah. Oh, gosh. So I understand that a lot of people might initially seek therapy when they're living with an invisible illness because of just the stress they're under as a result of it. But how can therapy help people who have invisible illness? And what what do you do that helps people with that? Well, I think the first thing is that it's actually really hard for a lot of people with an invisible illness to actually come into therapy because they've already spent a lot of money, probably, um, whether whether with insurance or outside of insurance, on their own health issues. So to many, this can be seen as like a non-essential. It's like, well, it's not a prescription refill. It's not an operation. It's not a medical test checkup. So when I look at all of these different things that I need to do for my health, this kind of, in their eyes, might not be an essential, which from a financial perspective, absolutely makes sense. You know, you can absolutely like understand where they're coming from. But but when they do come in, you know, so that it can be cost prohibitive for some because of the insurance issue and for, you know, the fact that they've already spent a lot financially on medical expenses. Um, but if they're able to navigate that process or they have really good insurance or whatever it is, then it's like um, working through the grief and they likely don't realize that they're going through the stages of grief um, because especially if it's a scenario where it's sudden onset, like they were healthy for a period of time and now they've relapsed or, you know, it's kind of been this pattern of like healthy and then health issues showing up again. And so grieving for that loss of sense of self, like I used to be so carefree. I used to just go out of town on a whim. You know, I used to have more money to do fun things. I used to have more uh, social interactions with, with friends and go out and eat and all of these things now have become less and less because it's harder to, to plan ahead. Like now people think of me as a flake, you know, possibly, or, you know, so going through that process of, of realizing they're actually kind of grieving and they're in denial and they're angry and all of that. Um, that's usually something they don't even register. They don't even think um, mm -hmm. because oftentimes they're in that, you know, fight flight mode. They're just trying to survive. And so, the opportunity to have deeper, uh, deeper thinking, more insightful thinking about, oh, what could this be about is just not even accessible. So first working on like just bringing them into a place of calm and working on grounding techniques and deep breathing and slowly reintroducing the idea that it's okay to check with, check in with your body because just that idea can be really scary. Like, I don't want to, I want to avoid my body as much as possible. I just want to run away from my body. Because every time I tap into it in some way, I'm disappointed, I'm hurt, I'm affected financially because I can't work full time anymore or I lost that promotion opportunity. You know, it can be really triggering in all of these different ways or I, my relationship ended because my spouse or my boyfriend or girlfriend, they couldn't handle it anymore, you know. So grieving, kind of teaching again, like kind of reintroducing the idea of, you know, breath work and connecting with the self and it's okay. And, you know, working on that inner dialogue, you know, how do you talk within yourself? Are you harsh? 
are you using harsh words? You, you being really hard on yourself or are you being more forgiving and accepting? And that's, that's usually a really big process of trying to make that adjustment from being really critical um, and fearful and hypervigilant to coming to terms with and loving and accepting all parts of you, mm. the good, the places where you feel okay and the places where you don't feel okay. And, and it's okay that you don't feel okay in that place within yourself, you know, normalizing that and expressing it in different ways, whether it's artwork or journaling or talking or tapping. I use tapping. That's one thing I like to use. That's kind of a cross between, um, you tap on acupressure points. And so it's helpful to use that for pain because it's actually been shown to reduce pain symptoms. Mm. The one thing that can be missed sometimes is, and especially among people with chronic pain or illness, is that um, oftentimes while the pain has an origin that's based in a medical procedure or medical condition, there are also aspects of that pain that become intensified based on lived experiences and the emotions surrounding those experiences. And so that's actually been researched by these um, scientists um, who do the leading work in tapping. And they found that one third of the pain is physical in origin. Where, and then after doing tapping, people self-report that the pain symptoms have declined, which means that two-thirds of that pain is emotional, based on emotional experiences and memories. And so when we're in those emotional states and then we're asked to self-rate our pain intensity, if we're already charged and emotionally upset, our perception of that pain is going to be typically more intense than if we were emotionally neutral. And so tapping helps to get your mind and body in a more neutral state, it helps to calm the nervous system. It helps to reduce cortisol. That's been shown. Uh, mm -hmm. If you do 30 minutes of tapping, that can lower your cortisol levels by 25%. So there's biology. There's, the, there's a biology to all of these ways of coping that can help in influencing our gene expressions and influencing our oxytocin production, which is our love hormone and helps us feel good, but also acts as a pain reliever. And another hormone is um, Adrenaline? endorphins. Oh. endorphins. <laughs> that, was, that was my brief moment of brain fog, endorphins. <laughs> <laughs> and endorphins is our body's natural pain reliever. So exercise releases endorphins. Engaging in activities that bring you joy spending time with people that you love, all of these things um, are, are physical and emotional experiences that help the body to produce these natural chemicals in our bodies that can address that pain, help our body to relax our muscles, to release tension, and also helps to bring down inflammation because chronic stress, whether it's emotional stress, biological stress due to a systemic inflammation kind of situation, all of that can contribute to inflammation uh, increasing. And so the more inflammation we have in the body and in the brain, uh, the more we can have physical pain, the more anxious we can feel, the more depressed we can feel, and all of that too. Can you say a little bit more about the inflammation response? Because you that is out there in the public discourse, but I don't know that 
it's explained well. That okay. So that's like, I mean, I'm not for sure. I'm not an expert on this, but um, I do have a couple notes here. So I'm going to shuffle some papers. So okay. I'll stop talking. <laughs> Let me see what I can find. Because um, I did actually have something here. So there's just different kinds of inflammation. And so there's like um, short term inflammation and there's long term inflammation. And so really, not all inflammation is bad. But when you have a systemic infection or you have a chronic pain or illness condition, that leads to chronic inflammation. And so that then can set up a chain of responses in the brain and in the body where there can be hormone and chemical imbalances that leave the body unable to support the immune system, for example. So the components that help in autoimmune support become less able to do their job. There are chemicals uh, that get produced and they're designed to help combat inflammation. But under constant stress, those also become kind of uh, disabled or weakened. And so basically, parts of the body systems are kind of getting shorted out. And leads into this more continuous cycle, this vicious cycle of continued chronic inflammation and chronic stress, which leaves the body more vulnerable to further infection because the immune system has been compromised, leads to continued inflammation in the brain. And studies have shown that inflammation in the brain uh, does tend to have a correlation with higher instances of depression and anxiety. So there's that as well. And when you're under constant uh, inflammation and stress, um, you're obviously also impacting your nervous system. So in a perfect world, we would all be calm, cool, and collected most of the time, which would be the parasympathetic nervous system going online. And that's also known as the rest and digest um, phase of the nervous system. However, when we're under constant uh, stress and inflammation, that can get kind of flipped around. And so instead of being more in that rest and digest place, we're actually more in the constant fight, flight, freeze response, which is that uh, survival mechanism. And so that, that in of itself sets off a different chain of hormone releases. Um, the adrenal glands kick in. Um, if you're, you know, just as if you were feeling like your life was in danger, like being chased by a bear, those same physiological and biological um, experiences that go on also happen when you're under constant inflammation and constant stress. So if you're stressed out at work or you have uh, an environmental stress, you're exposed to some kind of uh, toxin or mold in your home or you're, um, you have a chronic health condition that you're just having a hard time getting out of. Those are just some examples of things that could set off the body into that constant fight, flight, freeze place. And unfortunately, when you're in that place, what happens is your body's natural healing abilities literally go offline. They are inaccessible because the body has been programmed to survive in that moment. So heart rate goes up, blood rushes to the appendages to flee, you know, all of these different things. You might get hot, your blood pressure might go up. But digestion and, repro and reproduction are non-essentials in that, in that fight-flight response. You know, the hormones, the digestion, and the critical thinking that happens in our frontal lobes, which is our forehead region of the brain, 
all of that literally goes offline when we're in that constant stress. And unfortunately, that also correlates with um, sleep. Um, because if you're constantly stressed, um, you're probably not sleeping well. If you're in constant physical pain, that's another high correlation. If you're in a lot of pain, you're probably not sleeping very well either. Um, and so if you're not getting that optimal sleep because your, your nervous system is, is out of sync um, and you're in a lot of physical pain, uh, sleep is the prime time for the body to work on making tissue repair and cell repair and everything like that. So if you're waking up exhausted, you're probably not getting good quality sleep because your nervous system is maybe out of sync. Your, adrenal, um, your adrenals might be in a place that are not optimal. Um, you know, if you're waking up at 2 a.m., that could be a, a tell uh, that something is going wrong with your hormone levels where cortisol is going up at night when it shouldn't be. It should be going down at night and cortisol should be going up during the day. And so all of these things kind of work in concert. It's this, you know, interconnected system, which is my therapist educational approach to kind of describing what functional medicine is about. Mm. That's kind of what this is all about, really, um, because in functional medicine, you know, those are actual doctors. They go to an institute where they learn this type of uh, learning. And it's all about how all of these systems in the body are related, which we know it's common sense. Um, but the majority of medicine and, and work in the medical field, at least in the United States, is one that's more conventional, where you if you have hormone issues, you go see your gynecologist. If you have gut issues, you go see your gastroenterologist. Um, you know, everything is kind of piecemealed, like separate, like treated like separate entities, but they're really not. They're really not. And so I guess what I'm saying is all of these systems do interconnect. So if you're not sleeping well, could be adrenal issues, could be your nervous system is, you know, switched on and off at the wrong times because you're constantly in physical pain or dealing with an illness, um, which means you're not resting well, which means you're going to probably continue to feel some level of pain and not sleeping well is going to interrupt your sleep cycle and your melatonin production. And all of that's not going to make you feel very good either emotionally. So you might be a little moody on top of being tired. So all of these things play into how we feel emotionally about ourselves, about our situation. It can affect our relationships. It can, you know, it can really affect um, our healing potential. So that's like a whole thing. I hope I didn't go. Mm -hmm. That was <laughs> great. Uh, I was eating it up. And I got to ask you, though, is the waking up at 2 a.m. a thing? Because so many people wake up at 2 a.m. What is it about 2 a.m.? I mean, this is me hypothesizing. I mean, I've listened to a few doctors kind of talk about this. And one of them mentioned, um, you know, that's if someone has adrenal fatigue, um, adrenal fatigue is something that's recognized by functional medicine doctors. It's not necessarily something that a medical doctor or traditional doctor will consider to be an actual condition. Mm -hmm. um, but in functional medicine, there are three stages of fatigue, one, two, and three, and three is the most severe. So. I mean, I happen to have been stage three adrenal fatigue and I was waking up at 2 a.m. Uh, dripping sweat, like having hot flashes, like it was crazy. So my situation was kind of unique for me and intense, but I believe there is something to be said for 
2 a.m. waking up is because the cortisol is increasing when it's not supposed to be. Um, and so, you know, getting that looked at might be something to explore. And, and functional medicine is all about trying to understand the root cause and trying to find resolution and resolving partially and also hopefully completely uh, whatever is the ailment. So the goal in functional medicine is to like reverse what's going on, um, reverse heart disease or reverse, you know, the inflammation response um, in a way that is more comprehensive than just perhaps medication. Maybe it's medication and acupuncture and exercise and food. Of course, food is a big part of healing and wellness and getting emotional support. And so looking at the body as a whole system and looking at all of these different ways to support that healing process. So when people do come in to see me, I'm really glad they are because that's a big piece of the healing puzzle. They might end up having full remission or they might not, but either way, them coming into therapy or working on exploring their emotions uh, and their experiences is a big piece that needs to be addressed somewhere down the line to actually get to a better place physically and emotionally because our emotions are so intertwined with our biology. And if we feel good and if we're working on processing our emotions, that will lead to positive benefits physiologically in our body and help us get more towards a healing path. So, and a better quality of life, which is what everybody wants. Yeah. So Western medicine, typically the, the medications that we take are usually for symptom reduction, not usually not for curing or reversing the problem, but more just making the symptom go away during the time that that medicine is in your system. Exactly. Um, like in my case, my conventional medicine doctors have said, oh yeah, you are tending towards developing a thyroid condition. Yes, it is. It runs in your family. Um, however, your blood work doesn't really warrant us um, intervening at this time with medication. So basically, to me, that I'm hearing, well, your numbers aren't bad enough yet where we're going to start giving you Synthroid or whatever the thyroid mm -hmm. medication is. We're going to wait until it gets to that place, and then we'll start medicating you. Um, versus in functional medicine, the range of what is optimal and suboptimal for whatever system is being assessed is a wider range. And so they're like, okay, yeah, your thyroid is kind of in a suboptimal range right now, and we can do these things to kind of work on supporting it and, you know, see if we can stave off or prolong or prevent you actually developing a thyroid condition. And thyroid, um, thyroid conditions in some cases can be reversed. A great person who's totally, this is in her wheelhouse, is a doctor by the name of um, Isabella Wentz. Um, so she had Hashimoto's and she has reversed her Hashimoto's. And that's kind of her, her expertise. So there are certain things out in the world that people do have medically that can be addressed outside of conventional medicine um, where they can, they can get um, help and, and relief and possible resolution. Yeah, because the thyroid is part of the endocrine system. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And so and that's your hormones, all the hormones you were talking about, cortisol, adrenaline. Noradrenaline, exactly. And, and in order for the thyroid to work well, 
your adrenal glands need to be working well. And if your adrenal glands are not working as they should, they're designed to produce cortisol. But the thyroid needs cortisol to actually do its job. So if your adrenals are not in a good place, the thyroid's not going to get the support it needs to do its job. And so it can definitely have a domino effect. And in the medical community, those thyroid uh, experts kind of call people with thyroid conditions. The thyroid is like the, the canary in the coal mine. It's like the warning signal that something it's like it's like the warning that there's a root cause. And this is the time to try and figure it out before things progress um, into a place that makes it harder to treat. So that's kind of yeah. a way of looking at it, too. See, that's such a different way of looking at it, because typically it's like, oh, my mom had thyroid problems. I have thyroid problems. Either take, you know, get rid of the thyroid or take the medicine to, you know, for the synthetic thyroid uh, hormones to be replaced, you know, but it's like, well, why? <laughs> right. And, and the why is oftentimes because of the medical model and the why is often because it's more cost efficient for the industry. Um, whereas conventional medicine tends to, if you, unless you have really good insurance and your provider is going to you know, cover a lot of that, um, functional medicine work. Um, if that's not the case, then it's going to be, it could be more expensive. I mean, it's, that's a possibility. So it can be cost prohibitive uh, for the patient trying to go outside of conventional medicine. So that's kind of a reality, at least for now, but I'm sure over time it's going to evolve because it already kind of is in, in some ways, I think. Yeah, definitely seeing more here in on the East Coast in Annapolis and Baltimore area, I'm seeing more integrative medicine doctors, functional medicine, more MDs who incorporate, you know, complementary and alternative methods in their, in their practices, plus DOs and naturopathic mm -hmm. doctors. And here in Maryland, naturopathic doctors are now have a statewide license and can be covered by insurance where you know, in some places they can't. So. Good. Yay. <laughs> yeah. That's excellent to hear. And I think all of this, I mean, maybe this seems a little off topic, all this health stuff, but it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of the approach I use with people because it's like, listen, you know, you're not just a one dimensional being. There are all these other components going on potentially with your body that we just don't know about. Like, you know, maybe you have high inflammation going on in your body and that's why you're feeling so lousy. Maybe you're not getting good quality sleep because you've got something going on with your adrenal glands, you know. So just kind of bringing up these different possibilities and inviting them into this conversation can really be um, a welcome experience for them because they're being given some information that helps them to feel more informed and empowered. Like, oh, this could be coming. This could be going on for me. Uh, in my case. And so instead of having that narrative of self-blame, like what's wrong with me? Why can't I figure this out? Instead, it can be like, interesting. So maybe all of those car accidents and that whiplash has taken a toll on my nervous system, specifically the vagus nerve. And maybe I have something going on with the vagus nerve that's causing, you know, some kind of dysregulation with my stress response and my relaxation response. And 
you know, maybe that's something I need to explore or, oh, this is interesting. Like learning about like Kundalini yoga, like, you know, that's something that can be designed to tailor to support the vagus nerve and soothe the vagus nerve and um, work on getting that back into alignment. So there's, so I'll kind of like introduce a little bit of information here and there um, in a way that's not overwhelming, um, just based on where people are at, because at least for me, that was what was what I was really wanting as I was wanting more information to feel empowered. Like I knew more about what was going on or what could be going on and getting that additional information helped to actually uh, counteract that feeling of being disempowered and feeling overwhelmed and anxious and worried about like, what's my future going to be? You know, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm ever going to get better, but by getting some information and being, you know, provided with different resources and being able to do that for these individuals now that I see um, gives them these tools and these different paths to pursue to kind of work on greater self-discovery of like, what is, what is going on with me uh, emotionally and biologically and, you know, what conversations and what plans can I make to pursue this with my medical team? Yeah, it's just, it's a beautiful perspective you're sharing that we are a system and all of the parts of our system work together. And so the answers to what's going wrong in our systems have to be, you know, approached the same way. Therapist plays one part and functional medicine doctor may play one part and a traditional medicine physician may play one part. and acupuncture and you know um you didn't really say this directly i don't think but you've definitely talked about how mindfulness also plays a part in healing from or addressing living with chronic pain am i right oh absolutely absolutely because um mindfulness helps to calm down the nervous system it helps to it can kind of help foster that mindfulness practice of like okay all of these other things are going haywire in my life or in my physical health. But what's one thing that I can bring my awareness to that I'm really enjoying in this moment, you know, and just slowing down that process, that mental, giving the, br- the brain a break. Because uh, when you're dealing with these pain and illness conditions, it's like all these fires are going off at the same time and you're just, you're just trying to keep up and it can be really exhausting and your mind is racing. And, and so mindfulness kind of helps to um, kind of, address that directly. Um, and so mindfulness can be as simple as, you know, enjoying a nice cup of tea in the morning or your cup of coffee and just enjoying the experience of the ritual of what it is to have that morning coffee or tea. And do you add sugar and then you sit by the window looking out and it's a beautiful sunny morning and you hear the birds chirping, you know, it could be three or five minutes. It doesn't even have to be that long, but just kind of giving yourself that nice mindfulness, you know, practice. I mean, that's one example of many that, you know, are just things you already do in your day that you can actually just make more of, make more of a, of a procedure of a process that's enjoyable or taking that middle of the day break and sitting outside on your lunch break, having your sandwich, um, you know, different things or, or that afternoon walk, middle of the day walk, sitting outside or just listening to something relaxing on your phone, whether it's just the sound of the ocean waves, if it's an app on your phone or something that's a guided meditation, 
All of these things are really essential in the healing process in trying to calm down those fires that are kind of burning and calming down that nervous system and soothing that vagus nerve and all of these things because all of these mindfulness, self-care, boundaries, kind, self-compassion and kindness practices are essential really to boosting the immune system, to addressing physical pain, to um, allowing the body to have more opportunities for, for healing and restoration. Because all of them, again, lead into allowing the body to do what it's designed to do, which is to heal. And we can only do that if we're in that parasympathetic rest and digest place. Um, and so all of this, all of these mindfulness, self-care, enjoying a bubble bath, reading a book, you know, playing with your child, all of these things that bring you joy, whether it's with someone you love or just by yourself, the self-care practice are, are just so key in, in healing and getting that quality sleep and feeling better physically and emotionally and being more resilient. And that's what most people want. They don't want to be affected um, so severely when something happens in life that's upsetting to them. Um, because when that happens, and if they haven't built that toolbox of coping skills and, and mindfulness practices, that resiliency isn't going to be there. And perhaps whatever stressful event happened is going to take a toll on, on their health and leave them bedridden for a couple of days where they can't go to work. And that's only going to make them feel worse. So all of these things help to build up that toolbox to feel more empowered um, where you have a say. You feel like you have a say in how you handle life's ups and downs. So you feel more like resilient and less negatively impacted in ways where it affects your health. Yeah. And I feel like you're also describing a feeling of being empowered. Absolutely. Because this this process of having a condition that goes on undiagnosed or not enough is known about, or people ask you a million and one questions, it can be really exhausting and it can be really disempowering because sometimes you feel like you have to like be the spokesperson for this condition and explain it to them. Um, or you feel like you're being judged or misunderstood or you're being second guessed by your doctors of like, really, is it that bad? I don't think it's that bad. Or I don't really believe I've had a doctor tell me, I don't really believe that this is a real condition. Like, you know, I was like, oh my gosh, I don't want to hear this right now. So feeling disempowered in a lot of ways in life is sadly a common experience when you have an invisible illness. And so learning these tools and working in a therapy setting with someone who works with you as their equal and there's no power discrepancy. It's like, no, we're on this path together. I'm going to see what I can come up with based on what you're telling me that I think might be a good fit for you. And these are some things to explore, you know, and let's see, let's see what sticks. Let's see what you enjoy and that resonates with you. Um, because that's another thing I'm really sensitive to. I'm not, I'm not coming in like, oh, I'm, I'm the therapist and, you know, I'm up here and you're down there or something silly. But oftentimes people kind of expect that because they are in this population and they're used to kind of being down here and the doctor being up here and, and the doctor telling them what they need to do. So I don't want that pattern to continue either. Yeah. That shift from, I am a person who, feels helpless over this body that's really attacking me and out of my control potentially. But, you know, you're supposed to be the professional is as a medical provider, you're supposed to be the person who's going to tell me how to fix my problem. And, you know, they can come see us as a therapist and think, okay, so what am I, you know, tell me. 
tell me mm-hmm. what's wrong with me and how to fix it. And it's like, I believe that you have the answers within you and we can find them together. Exactly. That's it. And, and it gives them the, the confidence and the assurance that they're the experts of their own body. You know, like they know themselves yeah. better than anyone ever will. And like you say, like, we're going to work on this together and I'm here to support you in any way that I can. Well, I am so glad that you are there offering your very much needed services in Westlake Village, California. And I know that your clients are very lucky to have you helping them. And we fellow therapists are very lucky that you're generous to share your, you know, what you've learned and the experiences you've had to help people who are going through the same kinds of things that you went through. Well, thank you. I mean, it's just, it's just an honor to get the opportunity to like talk about this and to share kind of the experiences that I have had and and how it can be of help to others. And so you giving me this opportunity is just amazing and I'm very grateful. So thank you. Oh, thank you, Daniela. So tell our listeners where they can find you if you, um, if they're in California and want to work with you or get in touch with you for any other reason. Yeah. Well, they can find me, they can find me on Facebook. Um, I have a few different Facebook business pages, so you can just type my name in and one of, one of three should show up. (laughs) Um, I offer in-person counseling, but I also offer online counseling to those in California, um, because there's a need for people to get this kind of support and some might live in rural areas or they might not be able to leave the house. And so, Mm. Online, I think, is a great option for some for some people, and I'm happy to do that. If you're in the area, you can also find me locally because I do presentations um, a few times a year on all of these kinds of topics. Um, and you can find me on Twitter. I have my t- Twitter handle is at Chronic Pain Ally, A-L-L-Y. And then you can call me. You can go on my website, and that's www.westlakevillage-counseling.com. On my website, you can find a whole slew of articles that I've written, you know, designed to kind of surround this topic of chronic illness, chronic pain, support to caregivers, coping skills, mindfulness, all of that fun stuff. So if you want to join my newsletter, you can do that too. And when you do, you get a free guided meditation that. That I put together. It's about a five or six minute audio. So there's a whole, there's a whole variety of different ways you can reach me and um, resources on my website that you can take a look at too. Wonderful. And I'll make sure that all of those go into the show notes. So thank you so much, Daniela, for being on Therapy Chat today. Thank you again for having me. Thanks so much for listening to my interview with Daniela Paoloni. Daniela is really committed to her work helping people who have chronic illness and chronic pain. And she's become a real go-to for me whenever somebody asks about a therapist who specializes in chronic pain and chronic illness or resources to help people who have chronic pain and chronic illness. I always think of Daniela. She tirelessly serves this population of clients and generously provides resources to other therapists to help us all learn more about helping people who have these issues. So Daniela, I'm very grateful that you were on therapy chat today and thank you all for listening.
Don't forget, if you download the free Therapy Chat app on iTunes, iTunes users only as of now, you can have all your episodes organized in one place. It makes them easier to share and to organize. And if you have the app, I would love for you to go to the iTunes store and leave a rating and review. I also wanted to tell you all, if you are therapists and you need support in working with clients who have trauma, you may now register for the online clinical consultation groups. These groups are limited to six participants per group, and I'm offering them in a one-hour format. The groups begin in the month of November 2017, and I would love to have you join us. You can get all the information by going to lauraregan.lcswc.com slash join. In case you haven't heard, there is now a Facebook group exclusively for listeners of Therapy Chat. If you join the group, which is on Facebook, and you sign up for my special email list just for this group, you will receive information specific to listeners of Therapy Chat. We'll have Facebook Live. We'll have Q&As, special contests just for group members. I don't even know what all. Maybe some behind the scenes stuff about certain episodes. Definitely sneak peeks. There have already been some things that I've announced only in that group or exclusively in the group before any other place. So I would love for you to join us and look for the link in the show notes, or you can just go onto Facebook and search Therapy Chat Podcast and look for the group instead of the page. You'll know it's the group because it'll say join. And I appreciate your support. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com.